We're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. I'm going to read from the ESV this morning. I'll also have it up on the monitor for you if you have a different translation. Brothers and sisters, just this morning as we're turning our pages and preparing our hearts, can we remind ourselves that the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, right? That the Word of God has been given to us for correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness, that it is all that we need. And so as we approach it this morning, may we receive it in, with a full benefit as God has intended it for His people today. First Peter 4, verse 8, Above all, keep love, above all, keep love, loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And can we just read this together out loud? To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. And we say together, amen. We agree. Amen? So as I said, I want to just put a bit of a period on our study through the charismata. I've been calling it the spiritual gifts, but I'm finding myself, even in my own notes, um, as I prepare and as I study, like I just, I don't want to write spiritual gifts. I'm tired of the terminology, and I find myself so just encouraged personally by reminding myself so simply that the word for spiritual gift is charismata the grace expressions of God for his church, the manifestations of grace within the church that is gathered. Those are the gifts that God gives to us. And what I'm hoping to do today, church, is just kind of land in a place of encouragement and faith and setting the stage for as we move forward. And I think I've said this before, I know I've said it before, but I don't ever want to go from one study to a study to a study, from a series to a series, as wonderful as they are. I mean, I, I think back at this last year, and you guys might remember, but during COVID, like, we were studying through Hebrews, and man, the beauty of Hebrews, and we studied through 1 Peter under the lens of the, uh, the, the excuse me, of Peter's admonition to stand firm in all of trials and sufferings and all of the encouragement that we received. And then we kind of parlay that into a series we called Sheer Christianity, where we, we taught more topically on just the, 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 the fundamentals, if you will, of the Christian faith that are under cultural deluge constantly of being redefined and and, and how we needed to recapture the purity and the essence of those important and significant things. You guys remember that? And so I never want to go just from one thing to another. So even though we end, like part of me never wants to end, but it will. Part of me never wants to end, but I know that we have to. 
But it's like, can we together just resolve in our hearts and minds that as we, as we journey through the scriptures, that we are diligent to pursue the transformation of our hearts and minds that God wants to accomplish in us? Can you commit to that with me? That even though we'll finish this today, that, that we believe in faith that God is placing a deposit that is, is fanning something into flame within this faith community. And that next week and the week after, that when we come together, we are remembering and reminding ourselves that that's right, this is true, this is what we pursue, this is what this means for us to be gathered together in worship. Can we commit to that? Would you do that with me in all sincerity of heart? So that's what I'm hoping to do today. I'm going to do it quickly here. I said this last week, but I want to, I want to say it again by a way of making sure that we keep the main thing, the main thing here in this study. What is at stake, I believe, church, in our understanding and in our faithful pursuit of the charismata as a faith community? What I think is at stake at, in our pursuit or a lack thereof in our pursuit and understanding is the revelation of God in the fullness of who he truly is. Who wants to understand and know, walk in and experience the fullness of God for your life and in your life? I think that's what's at stake in this particular conversation of this church experiencing in, in God in his fullness when we come together and when we gather also, to remember that Christian worship, this here on Sunday mornings, is not merely a religious exercise. And how easily we can fall into that from week to week. The Sunday worship is not simply a religious exercise. It is an encounter with the living and triune God. Triune God. All of God does all that God does. Jesus and the Father and the Spirit are all active and present in the worship experience and in the gathering of the saints. When the church gathers, we respond to the revelation of God the Father through the access, through the righteousness, right? Through the fullness of Jesus Christ, his Son. In the power and in the strength and in the presence of the Holy Spirit, all three are active and present when the church gathers on a Sunday morning like this. Worship, therefore, church, is holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, Trinitarian. It is Trinitarian in its nature and in its experience. And I know that most of you would agree with me on that level, but sometimes functionally we don't act as though it is. And Peter's comments here in this chapter of chapter 4 and verses 8 through 11 are attesting to this exact reality of the Trinity being present through the charismata and in the worship experience. And he says this, and most of it is found in verse 11, because he says that God may be glorified, and he says, through Jesus Christ, by the strength that God supplies. Those are three different statements that Peter makes there in verse 11. And by that strength, he means by the spirit, the grace, the divine ability that God provides by the spirit of God. All three are present in Peter's mind. 
And so as we end, to remind ourselves, though, the significance and the, the singular aim that Peter has in his mind and the purpose of the revelation of God's manifold presence in his church, again, is found so beautifully in verse 11 at the very end. Look at it with me where he says this, that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Church, that is the point of this. That is the point of everything that ought to be that I ever speak on or any teacher in this pulpit would ever speak on, that in everything God would be glorified. So as we're pursuing our understanding and, and an extension, an expansion of our faith in the area of the charismata, the ultimate aim has to be that God would be glorified. And what a helpful just... Um, parameter, if you will. You can think of it almost like the bumpers that come up in a bowling alley, right? That keep you from careening off into that side, whatever that is, the, the gutter. <laughs> that that, that our, our bumpers, if you will, that God puts for us is a reminder that in everything that he would be glorified. And it keeps us from careening and finding ourselves in the gutter and missing the mark. The manifestation of the powerful presence of God among his gathered people is for the glory of his own name. That's why he manifests it. That is why the Holy Spirit is with us. And I love how Peter, again, just finishes with a bit of a doxology. To him be glory and dominion forever. Amen. It's beautiful. I mean, he essentially says the same thing again. But this is where I want us to land in our hearts today. We have to settle this church that we should always aim for the exaltation, the revelation, the glorification of the immortal, the eternal, the omnipotent, the sovereign, and the providential God. Are you hearing me? Are you with me? Do you have faith for this this morning? So then just quickly working backwards from this goal, if this is the main goal, Peter says that the gathered church accomplishes this in two ways. He says, through speaking and through serving. And I love it. In one sentence, Peter distills all of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, uh, a portion of chapter 12 of Romans and a portion of Ephesians chapter 4, and Peter just distills it into two things. And the word is the same. The varied graces that Peter speaks of in 1 Peter 4 is the word, the charisma. It's the same word. And so he distills it into two things, how we serve one another and, and the truth by which we speak to one another. That is an all-encompassing two endeavors, is it not? What we say and what we do, that God would be glorified through it, that those are expressions of grace to one another. All of the gifts, Peter says, can be reduced to these two things. And I think that this is significant as a reminder, just a bit of a side note, because it shows that like Paul, Peter isn't concerned in this moment whether or not we can identify our specific and unique gift. If he was concerned with that, he would have taken the time to elaborate on the varieties of the graces that the Spirit of God manifests himself. But Peter's not concerned with that. Peter is concerned with what? The common good, the building up of the church unto the glorification of God. 
That is Peter's aim. Every time we gather church, may we always pursue this one thing together. Not for ourselves, but for the glory of God. How easy, not for myself, but for you. Not for me, but for you, Lord. Not for my glory, not for my fame, not for my renown, but your renown and yours alone. And I think that when this becomes our aim, the the peripheral hindrances become secondary. The things that we struggle with somewhat fall to the side when the glorification of Christ Jesus our Lord is our ultimate aim. It is no longer about what we gain, how we look, or how we feel in a particular moment. It's about the glory of God and the revelation of him to his people. That's our aim, church. That is what we need to set out for each and every week when we come together. And Peter is going to say that ultimately, just again working backwards, he's going to say that ultimately it's an issue of stewardship. It's a stewardship issue because he says this, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. How we pursue these manifestations of grace, church, is an issue of doing well with what God has given to us. Is that a concern in your heart? And that deals with either side of the spectrum, overly zealous individuals for the varied graces of God or the overly cautious individuals. It's a matter of stewardship. At the risk of of being redundant, I just want to make the same point that I've made already through this series, that for for this church, for Capital City Church, for, for us today, I don't believe that this is an issue of biblical accuracy. I think, by and large, we've settled that for this faith community. I think it's an issue of biblical obedience. Are we now going to obey? Are you going to take the step in faith? Will you respond in obedience when the Holy Spirit moves and speaks to you in accordance with what the Scripture has instructed? I think that's for us to take a hold of that this morning. Ask that in your heart. Settle it in your heart. Regardless of how comfortable you might feel about it within the church, may it be neither an issue of lack due to fear or inability or over-rationalization through personal experience, and may it not be an issue either of excess, one of pride or self-fulfillment or gain. Steward well the varieties of grace that God would supply to you. Steward them well, church. May each one of us endeavor to do so. May God be glorified by how we steward what he's given to us. Amen? I just want to say a couple more things. I'll try to do it quick. I want to end with a bit of, of a reminder of something I said about two months ago, and, and in doing so, hoping to paint somewhat of a picture of the church, this church that I see moving forward, and what I believe that God is doing within us and something to hold out for us in faith to take a hold of. And I want to begin, quickly I'll read it, with a quote that I gave to you guys um, about two months ago. 
It's a man by the name of John Jefferson Davies. You're going to remember it when I start saying it. Um, And he says this in his book called Worship and the Reality of God, that Christian churches need to constitute in their practices, especially in their practices of worship, alternative, alternative plausibility structures. You know what that means? Practices that express the probability of something being true. Okay? We need to have within our practices alternative plausibility structures that can, let's just listen, that can embody and experience the presence of the divine in a way that directly challenges the suffocating naturalism of the dominant culture. It's important to defend belief in God and the supernatural theologically and apologetically. But this cognitive strategy, in order to have lasting impact, church, hear this, needs to be embodied within a believing community that expects to experience and is actually aware of experiencing the reality and presence of the God of the Bible in its worship. And he goes on to say that the real presence of the risen Christ in the power of the Spirit with the assembly is the church's nuclear option, available each and every Sunday. But the church has largely forgotten this option. When Saul of Tarsus met the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, he experienced a massive reality encounter, an ontological shock that changed his life and understanding of reality forever. And again, he makes such a brilliant point. In every true worship assembly, the Damascus Road reality can be available to impact and transform the believing church by faith. Because in the New Testament faith, every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. Right? Every Sunday is Resurrection Day. Sorry. Went from the cuff there. So what he's saying here, church, just if I can summarize it, is that in order for the church to be the measuring rod of truth and in order for us to combat the cultural liturgy that says what governs this world is simply what we can see, that's the naturalistic lens, what we can see is what really matters. In order to combat that church, the church, the church must see the necessity that she be a vehicle for the presence of God. We have to see that as a necessity, that the world needs the church to be who God has created her to be. And what's more, not only the embodiment of the presence of God, but a vessel for the manifestation of the power of God. Both the presence and the power must be embodied within his church in order that she could effectively combat the heresies, the darkness, the the, the lies that bombard not only the unbelieving hearts, but our own hearts as well. We need these things because we're not impervious to the cultural lies that exist outside of the Sunday. it's, It's like this is such a beautiful, safe incubator for believers on Sunday mornings where we just come in and we know, man, Like, this is where I need to and want to be in this moment. But church, we need to continue in this feel, this experience, this truth, if you will, when we walk out of the doors as well. So it's vitally important that we get this. 
And so just to, I'm sorry, I'm going long, just to quickly, to substantiate this, I spoke of the biblical model that we see in both Exodus and Revelation. You guys remember this. The bookends, if you will, that God gives to us within Scripture. And if you don't remember this, go back to like mid-September, and it was, uh, as I finished here, Christianity, I spoke on kingdom worship. And that's where I spoke about this. And there's, essentially, there's, there are five um, aspects to the church gathering that are significant that we see given in Exodus and also pictured again, which help us to understand today's gathering of the church. And there was five things. And the first was this, that God calls his people to gather. God calls his people to assemble. We are here because God assembles his people. We're not here because we simply woke up and walked in today. This is so important, church, that this morning is a responsive obedience to a command that God calls his people to assemble before him. And if we remember, it's so foundational to what I'm about to say here very quickly. But to get this in our minds, that church, this is an act of obedience. We're here this morning because God has called his church, his people unto himself. And then the second thing that we see is that God then descended in power or he descends in power. This is why we gather. So that the, the distinctive that for centuries indicated the unique nature of God's people would be confirmed to his people today and displayed to the watching world. The power of God on his people. The tabernacle that dwelt in the middle of the people of Israel. A testament to to the uniqueness of that nation. The power of God descends, a testament of the uniqueness of this people, church. Thirdly, that God speaks. He he instructs, he adjusts, he commissions us, he reminds us of what it means to be his people. Fourthly, that, that then his people respond. Again, I'm just giving you that these elements are present every time the church gathers that then the people respond in praise, in exaltation, in worship, and in adoration, in confirmation of our intent to obey. Our response, church, is our weekly recommitment to act and to live as God's distinct people. That's what this morning is. And then lastly, we see that a covenant meal is shared God, through his table, reminds his people that he is a covenant-keeping God, that his word and his promises, as we sang this morning, are absolute, and that what he began, he will most certainly finish. That is what is present at the table. So church, I give these five things to you to say that next week when you walk in, may we be looking for these five elements to be real in our gathering to remind ourselves that this is an act of obedience, that I am drawing myself towards the Lord as he has called me to come to him. And that as I do, his will is to come upon his church and his people in power, to speak to them, to change them, to transform them. And as he does this amazing work, our hearts and our bodies even respond in worship and in adoration. And all of this so beautifully summarized and reminded of again, together as a community in the Lord's table. I want these five things, church, 
to be earmarks of Capital City Church. That we would pursue them when we're together. And man, I'm telling you, church, I think, I think if we pursue these things together in faith, things are going to change. And I'm not just saying like, the church is going to grow. I'm saying that the, just the who we want to be as God's people will begin to be manifest among us. But if I can just say this too, it cannot just be me. It can't just be the elders or a handful of people or that us and the one person who might have spoken in tongues at one time. It's got to be all of us pursuing this together, each one of us. So I ask you guys again, and if you cannot do it in sincerity today, would you just consider as you leave this place, will you pursue this with me in faith? Can we do that? Man, I hope so. So as I said, I want to give some time, and that, as I should have figured, I went much longer than I had anticipated, but that's all right because I think you know, we still have ample time. I want to now just take some opportunity for you guys to ask questions. Um, I'm going to invite the other elders to come up as well because there's a lot of wisdom beyond just me. And, uh, and together, we'll, just, we'll collaborate. And if you have questions on anything that was said, you might recall we talked about words of wisdom and utterance. We talked about prophecy. We talked about the charisma of faith. We talked about the charismata of healings. So we covered quite a bit, and I know it's been a bit, and there might just be a lot of questions on tongues, and that's fine. But, um, but if you have questions, we want to we take a minute and do that now. So um, is it weird just have you guys come up here and stand with me? Great. Come on up. Um, what I will ask, though, is if, if you wouldn't mind, um, if you would not mind, would you just use the microphone for the sake of the recording? Oh, actually, wait, these guys are going to need it. So it's all right. Don't worry about it. The recording is not as important as what we're wanting to accomplish here. So um, does anybody have a question on anything that was said? I did. Of course you can. Yeah. I'm sitting listening to Matt. I'm thinking that I think for many of us, the issue, there's a hiccup between we would all say, yeah, we believe everything that we've heard, maybe everything, close to everything. We're still working some things out possibly. The issue is how do we get from what we think we know or understand mm -hmm. to actually walking it out? And it's a faith issue. And I, I felt like the Lord dropped this into my mind as I was sitting there listening, kind of a contradictory, contradictory term, cognitive faith, two opposite-sounding realities. Mm -hmm. But there's a conscious choice to, to move into faith when you want to be used by the Spirit of God in any context. Sometimes it happens apart from us being aware of it. We just begin to speak or we begin to do, and the Lord uses us. But oftentimes, we have to move from that, the place that the naturalistic mind lives in, yep. the world's arena. And when we come into this place, for example, into a place of faith, and we have to say, Lord, I am available 
speak. Yeah. Use me however you would. And then we have to be willing through cognitive faith, if you I could let me use that term, to step into that place of obedience. And it's a scary step because you might be out in front, you might be visible, you might be heard, you might be whatever. But I don't know if this is making sense. There has to be a point where we engage mm-hmm. and we choose to let the Lord use us. And most people never get to that place. Most of the time, they just want God to do it. Mm-hmm. Just you, do it. And, and then I'll just watch you do what you do through me. It doesn't work like that. You have to be available and you have to have faith to let him yeah. use you. Now, I think that's part of that responding that I was talking about a moment ago as well. It requires us to initiate or to step out in faith and obedience. Listen, this is a, honestly, this is a, a really, there's, there's no bad questions here. So I think just take the opportunity if you're feeling a little bit like, uh, just ask the question. No one's going to judge you. And if not, then <laughs> might be dead. Everybody's like, it's like when the teacher's getting close to the end, you're like, don't anybody ask a question. Nobody say anything. We get out of here 10 minutes early today. Go to lunch early. Come on, let's take the opportunity now. Yeah, Josh, go ahead and I'll repeat it. So the question was, is why do some people not seem to speak in tongues? And Rick said I answered it. So. So just to, to reiterate that, though, for the sake of Josh, you're saying it's a, a faith, an obedience in faith, stepping out in faith. But also we know, too, I mean, Paul, Paul says it, as I said last week, like the reality is it's just not everybody will. Paul says, I wish that you would. But that obviously in wishing, there's the open-endedness of like, but not everybody does. And, and the, as to the why, some of that could also be just a mystery. As, again, it's the unction of the Spirit of God, and it's a portion to as the Spirit of God would, would so desire. But I think not to take away from what you're saying, because I think that that is particularly when it comes to tongues too. And some of the more miraculous gifts, I think that's a big issue. We, we, we have this a break in our whatever that is that would say like, yeah, that goes where we think that's illogical, where it feels weird and would therefore not have the faith too. But even, if, even, in a gift, even in a gift like hospitality. Why don't you come over here? Is there a supernatural gift of hospitality? Yeah. Yeah. Is there just a natural hospitality? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's the difference? The Spirit of God. Why, why is it big? Because one comes from God. Because one is, is, is grace-empowered by the presence of God. The other is just kindness, which is good. So how do you know if it's supernatural or not? Well, the only way you know is because you've determined to be used by God in faith, and you you believe that God will use you, regardless of how you feel about your home, regardless of how you feel about your cooking, regardless of anything, you've set, you're saying, I want to, God to use me by His Spirit in my heart's desire to bless people 
in hospitality. And it may not be in your home. It might be in other means, obviously. But it's just, it's faith. It's a faith issue. So then can I ask a follow-up, then I'll let you, and you can keep going, is just to Josh's question, then if we so desire, then what is the next step that we would take in our own hearts to say, I want to, I, I have the faith for it, and I want to be obedient. What's the step that we take? Well, I think Matt spoke about it last week when he said, when you come to the end of yourself, say you're in a prayer time and you no longer have words, then I would say to you is to say, Spirit of God, pray through me. Speak to me. Romans 8 talks about the Holy Spirit speaking the, the, searching the depths of God and giving language to us to pray the very mind and the very heart of God. So when you come to the end of your own words and of your own ability to communicate, at that moment, I would say, Spirit of God, speak to me, and I would keep my mouth moving, not pretending, but just keep praying and ask the Lord to begin to give you then at that moment language, heavenly language, heavenly words, heavenly thoughts that are the Spirit of God through you and see what God would do. So there's a faith involved in that because you're going to feel goofy and foolish but the Lord honors obedience. It's faith. It's faith. And you'll know because you will be edified in your own heart. And, of course, in the church, in a gathering like this, that's a whole other step of faith. Mm -hmm. But it's a good step. And then there would be an interpretation, and whoever would have that would have to step out in faith. It's about faith. It really is. There's a good worship leader who can play guitar well, and then there's those that the Spirit of God is using. What's the difference? It's the, it's the anointing of the Spirit through the faith of the one who is being used. And, that, and that's that what it comes down to many times. Is that, is that too out there? Does that make sense? It's a faith issue. Hey, listen, if there aren't any other questions, I mean, we did a great job <laughs> communicating these things to you all. Yeah. No, it's whoever. It doesn't matter. I was just giving Kevin an opportunity. I'll give you a story. Um, because I, I believe, again, it's one of the things I want to say, though, is. It, yeah, about no, discerning of spirits. Question, then, How do you know? Is that, is that pretty much what you're saying? How do you know? Um, I want to say this though. Do you guys do you guys do the charismata in your families? Are you do you practice these things at home as as father and mother and sons and daughters? Do you do that? Because if you don't, 
it's harder to hear God. One of the things I said when I was up here preaching is, can you discern the voice of God or is it your voice? Mm -hmm. Right? So we were going to be put in as deacons one night, and my son got sick. Now, Jesus was pretty adept at going, that's sickness, that's a demon, that's right. He was... He had the fullness of the Spirit of God. But as we, as we come to God and as we have stayed with God, you know, Nathaniel got really super sick. It was the night we were going to be put in as deacons. And Rick used to call it the knower. That which was inside of you, your spirit, not, not just your head, but your spirit. And I looked at Nathaniel and I looked at God, and I just I started to pray first. That's number one. God, give me, give me wisdom in this. And then second of all, I knew that it was not sickness, that something was going to stop us from, from being put in as elders. And I looked at Nathaniel, and I said, in the name of Jesus, get off of him right now. We will be elders. I am the head of this household. I understand who I am. And you need to get off him. And he started to, to, to vomit. To, to, and then and two seconds later, I said, off of him. And he looked at me different. And he was like, why am I out here on the couch? Why am I out? And, and we were put in that, that day. But it's, I truly believe in, in the discerning of spirits. Sometimes it just happens. It just, it's God, like Rick said. But are we open to that? I was brought in to the Christian faith in a supernatural encounter. So I, to me, it's natural to me. Some people, it isn't natural. And therefore, you have to ask God to say, show me these things. I've seen demons. We were at a worship conference. I mean, a worship barbecue. I mean, I remember this. And... The gal, we were just praising and worshiping, and the gal looks over at Rick, and she goes, I don't feel good. He knew right away. Suddenly, Rick is over this gal at this worship barbecue. These are Christians. And he says, in the name of Jesus, get out of her. And she looks up. And I'm a new Christian, right? I'm like, this is just what I read. And I'm over Rick's shoulder looking at this. And Rick knew. And he can probably tell you how he knew, but he just knew. And I looked up at him, and I don't know if you remember this. No, I've been here a long time. And I leaned over, and I went like this. And and this is what I want to get to also. I leaned over, and I said, hey, Jesus used to say shut up to him. So I said, hey, no one asked you to talk. And she looked at me, and can I tell you, I knew. I knew, and it knew everything about me. It knew all my sin. It could have blurted everything I've ever done out loud. And I recoiled. I went, whoa. And as I drove home, I said, what was that, God? And he said this, are you so secure in what I've done for you that you could hear everything, everything you've ever done in front of your brothers and sisters and still know that you are who you are, and then he said this, next time you cast it out. 
It's, it's hearing the voice of God. It's, it's cultivating that. And I, I cultivate it for me. It's in the Bible. I hear God through Scripture many times. And Rick could talk to you about that. But it's, I think it's just placing yourself, Rick used to call it under the grace fountain. Remember that? There's a lot Place, of reminiscing happening up here right yeah. now. <laughs> but these were things that, these were things that we walked that, that we walked into, that I walked into. I went to a church when I first got saved, and, and I looked around, and I said, hey, he's not dead. Yeah. I did. Wonderful teaching, wonderful preaching, but I went, what Matt was saying, where, where's God here? And I walked into this church, and I fell on my face. I remember Rich playing a guitar, Oh, you, sorry, bro. Yeah. Discerning a spirit. <laughs> what is the spirit saying to you right now? Spirit has spoken to Kevin. <laughs> there's, three, I, there's three spirits. Human spirit, demonic spirit, Holy Spirit. And we can discern which is which. But I think what Kevin said is key is that the, the, he had a supernatural birth. I had a supernatural birth in an experience. You have also all had supernatural births if you are in Christ, but you may not have had an experience that you could look back at and go, that was supernatural. But we have to know that we're living in a supernatural realm. And, and because we are, we have the ability by the Holy Spirit within us to discern. Am I encountering just this person? Their intellect, their personality, the power of their who they are? Or am I encountering something beyond that that's dark? And then, of course, we can recognize easily the Holy Spirit within one another mm -hmm. when we encounter that. But it's, again, it's just the ability by the Spirit of God to discern what I'm dealing with at any given moment. Yeah. And, and He'll give you that very much. He'll give you that clarity um, because we need that, especially in this time we're living. You have to be able to discern more than ever What's the, what's the power behind this? Yeah. What's the power? That's the question I always ask. What's the power behind this? Mm -hmm. And the human spirit is powerful. But the demonic is evident when it's demonic. And then you deal with it in a way you need to. Mm -hmm. That's good. Um, so Janet had emailed, and I'll just kind of give you a quick summary. She she asked just if we would address the the pendulum swing that can happen based off of experience, whether it's a good experience or a bad experience, and how sometimes that that causes us to go one way or the other. And uh, I thought it was a good question because I think in it um, is the <clears throat> reminder to have a robust biblical theology. And by that, I mean, we, can, we, we hear a phrase, if you've been around the evangelical church, particularly the non-denominational charismatics of chasing after the Spirit. Um, and there is a tendency, I think, when we make something primary that isn't supposed to be primary, to then pursue it with fervency uh, and, and more attention than is necessary and so just to what Janet had, had said, I think 
just as, as we are encouraging this church away from this side of the pendulum, so too we must encourage our own hearts away from this side of the pendulum. And the, let that be balanced. So this all falls under the, the study of the pneumatology, our understanding of the person and the work of the Spirit. And that is balanced with, with our Christology, which is balanced by the, the other doctrines within our biblical theology. So the need to build that up within our own hearts is of paramount importance because it helps us, and even just the question that Rick was saying, like, when do I know? It helps us to know the will of God and, and, and God's purpose in certain things. And, and it keeps us, I mean, one of the things, especially as leaders, that we have heard multiple times over the years is like, well, God told me not to go to this church anymore. And, uh, and God told me to go to this church. And, and you're going, okay, maybe he did, but there's a, there's a process of how God does things, and we can weigh them against other truths that is revealed to us. And so let's just to say that let's, let's, as we're pursuing these things, let's make sure that we're not pursuing them at the detriment of other important truths that hold it all in tension. So was that an okay? Okay. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, the difference between those who would pursue the manifestations or be open to would be continuationist is the, is the terminology that we use, which we consider ourselves to be. The other being cessationist, which is that there's a belief that the gifts of the Spirit have ceased, the cessation of the gifts. And um, there's a lot of points behind the conversation. It's actually a rather in-depth. But just to, to summarize, there's a belief that with the apostolic age, or one of the more common um, understandings is that with the apostolic age ended the gifts, that the gifts were given to the apostles in the early church to establish the church in all the vitality and vibrancy that was needed in that age. And, um, and so that's one of them. Another is an appeal to 1 Corinthians 13, where it talks about the imperfect and the perfect, and when the perfect appears, the imperfect will pass away. And there is an appeal that the perfect was the canonization of Scripture, and that there's no longer need for prophecy, there's no longer need for these other miraculous manifestations because God has given us everything we need, as we know, according to 2 Timothy 3, you know, that the Word of God is everything and all that we need. And so that, that's a bit of the, the position, just real you know, kind of broad strokes uh, of the difference between the two. And, and, you know, we have our own perspectives on those things. Um, and I don't know that I've got time to get into all of them, but is there anything else that would be helpful just in distinguishing between those two that you would want to comment? Yeah, I think the canonization of Scripture is probably the uh, main argument for cessationists, that we no longer need anything because we have the Word of God. Uh, and, the, and if you do an exegesis of 1 Corinthians 13, um, it's clear in that that the perfect is the coming of the Lord. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the giving of the canon. It was, it's looking toward the coming of the Lord. Yeah. And, and then again, just the whole full arc of, of Scripture itself mm-hmm. points to the, the reality that, that what Matt said so well in quoting even from... Uh, Jeffries, that there is a need 
for an ongoing revelation of the true nature of God yeah. on the earth. Yeah. And the church, apart from the power and the presence of the Spirit, cannot reveal the true nature of God mm -hmm. on the earth today. And it's a battle for us to break through the starkness and the naturalism and the, the lie, the spirit of the age, Paul calls it. And the only thing that can do that is the power of the living God. Yeah. And so we must come to a place of faith, believing that God desires that and God will use us in our imperfectness, in all of our limitations, because we all have them. But when we are gathered, there is, a, like Matt said, safety and faith for God to build up his church and to release his presence among us to encourage us to be that light. Mm -hmm. So the world is desperate for the true revelation of Jesus Christ. And it's not going to happen apart from the power of the Spirit of God. Yeah. So, I mean, just that's in a sense almost a common sense biblical argument. But Scripture teaches it, I believe, very well. well. I think, too, Luke's words in Acts 1 where he talks about um, that he, he recorded in his previous letter all that Jesus began to do. And we've talked multiple times about how the book of Acts is, is, and the ministry of the church and of the saints is a continuation of the ministry of Jesus Christ on the earth. And I think that speaks a lot to um, whether or not the gifts were needed just for the apostles. Um, and, and then, of course, I mean, we can talk about Stephen and Philip who also manifested or, or moved in the gifts of the Spirit but were not original apostles. And so I think there's, you know, there's conversation and it's super deep and nuanced. And, and, and if you study church history, if you study church history, you'll find that there's many accounts of the power of God in the church post-apostolic age. Mm -hmm. And, of course, there were dark ages, and it's all sovereign. In God's sovereignty, he chooses to do what he will when he wants to. Mm -hmm. And so there is history in the church when there was a great times of power and presence and revival, and there has been many seasons of quiet and stillness and silence, but yet the Spirit of God has always been active and moving even in those times mm -hmm. in ways that maybe weren't even recorded. So church history is also a mm -hmm. clear barometer. Yeah, Georgia. Yeah, I don't. I don't think we see that within Scripture. I think, um, in fact, I think I might have mentioned it, but we we see, like both. Sometimes there was faith to be healed. Sometimes there wasn't. Sometimes it was solely an act of Jesus in compassion towards an individual, un, uh, without their request. Sometimes there was faith of the friends of the one that needed to be healed, and so there doesn't seem to be any real magic bullet, if you will, or equation to that. Um, I think again, it's it's uh, it's there's faith. Is we know faith is part of the equation, um, but then there's also um, the sovereignty of God and the providence of God. Where there, where there's unbelief, though, too, there's it's more of a battle, mm. because Jesus sent people out of a room, mm -hmm. and then Peter did it too, because of the unbelief. Mm -hmm. So. There's a, and again, that's kind of a discernment of spirits issue. When you discern unbelief, you know, wait a minute, there's a lot of unbelief here. 
And, and Jesus dealt with unbelief by removing it when necessary so that there could be the kind of faith that he knew he wanted there to be for that miracle to take place. Depends on what you're saying. I mean, if you pray with wisdom and you're praying with compassion, you can pray for people without giving them false hope and with faith still in Jesus' name. You can speak what you believe God wants you to speak, pray what you believe God wants you to pray, ask God what you believe he wants you to ask, and encourage them in that faith without giving them false hope. So it's the way you pray. It's the words you would use. We're not name it and claim it. Confess positive, no. You know, but if God says to me, pray this. In Jesus' name, I want to speak this to you. And I believe God is saying this to you because he loves you. This is his heart for you. In Jesus' name, I would say it. And if nothing happens, nothing happens. That's up to God. But I've been obedient, and maybe it's awakened. But I haven't given them false hope, though. Do you think healing can be progressive? I think sure. it can. I think healing can be progressive. When we pray, Jesus put the, the mud on the guy's eyes and he said, what do you see? I see men walking around like trees. It wasn't like this, right? So there's some, there can be progressive healing. And that's why in our family, we, don't, we just don't do it once. We're mm-hmm. going to do it again and we're going to do it again mm-hmm. and we're going to do it again and we're going to mm-hmm. do it again. Because we know that God heals. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we have testimonies in our home that... And it's not immediate sometimes, but I mean, his orbital socket um, was was cracked. It should have been uh, had surgery, and we prayed more more than one time, and uh, it was healed. And it was wonderful. Any others? Okay. Um, just to if we could stand together. Thanks, guys. We stand together. I'm going to just end in prayer quickly. Um, before I do that, I've spoken about it, but I just thought I'd, these are two books that I can't, you know, recommend enough. Um, both written by the same guy, Sam Storms. One's called Understanding Spiritual Gifts, and the other one is called Practicing the Power. Um, this is probably more of a, a deeper dive, um, but this is also a really excellent book as well, and he covers some of the more difficult uh, topics that, as we've endeavored to do as well. So, um, I would suggest if you're wanting to pursue greater understanding, this is a great way to do that. Excellent resource. So, Father, we uh, want to thank you for all that we have heard and experienced this morning. We want to thank you, Lord, that, that um, there's, a, there's a genuine, sincere desire to pursue this in faith, Lord. And we believe, Lord, that you're, you're doing something within this church um, that we feel is timely that we recognize, Lord, is, is necessary in the day that we live. Um, Lord, I pray that just as Rick spoke about the faith, I, I pray, Lord, that that would be just the dominant and kind of resounding um, theme in our hearts as we leave this building and as we return next Sunday. Lord, that, that the faith that is needed to step out in obedience, Lord, we understand that even our faith you supply to us. And so, Lord, we're asking that that as we 
pursue obedience, as we pursue right understanding and right living, Lord, that you would add to our faith, Lord, the, the ability to continue to pursue in even greater measures. Lord, I ask for just for unbelief. I pray, Lord, for skepticism, for hearts that are skeptical. I pray again concerning just the fear of man. We ask, Lord, that you would rid us of those irrational fears, that you would settle our hearts. And as I said this morning, that in everything, that you would be glorified in your church. Lord, may that be our aim. And I pray next Sunday, as this church gathers, Lord, there would be a vibrancy to our gathering, a vibrancy, Lord. And it doesn't, we're not looking for just all the wacky, crazy, Lord. We just want to meet with you. We want to experience what you have given to us as a church in this day and age. Lord, would you do that, we pray, with earnest hearts, Lord, with, with sincere motive. We ask these things, Lord, and we just, again, we say that it is under the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Unto your glory, Lord, to you and to you alone. Father, we love you. Lord, we go now just in the grace of God and with faith to pursue living as your distinct people in this world. Um, God, glorify yourself in your name. Amen.